Hello everyone and welcome to the Mortgage Show podcast. My name is Monty and we are back in our virtual self-produced podcast studio to keep you updated and speak to some of the movers and shakers in the industry. We're trying to find out what makes them tick as well as look at the latest goings on in our fine industry, especially during this rather interesting time. I'm delighted to be joined today by a man who is a legend of the specialist mortgage market, an entrepreneur who's built a fabulous well-known business, a two-time winner of Mortgage Personality of the Year, a big advocate of mental health, a Brighton fan, and a technical giant in many ways. Of course, it is Group CEO of Brightstar Financial and Serious Finance, Mr. Rob Jupp. Welcome, Rob. Well, thank you for. Uh, did you read my writing okay with that? Was that okay? <laughs> you were worried I wouldn't give you a big enough introduction. <laughs> Not really. No. Look, that's that's very generous. And uh, and uh, thank you. And as a, a fellow uh, two times winner of Mortgage Strategy's Personality <laughs> of the Year, congratulations to you too. <laughs> thank you very much. So uh, there you go. Two personalities talking about the mortgage industry doesn't say much, does uh, it? Really? <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Um, so yeah, let's sort of kick off. So twenty twenty, eh? That was a uh, wow. We did that was sort of unexpected. Um, how have you managed to keep up your spirits and team spirits and and motivation going generally in uh, in this strange time? Well, it's been um, it's been one that we could we could write a book about, and I think maybe uh, Ying Tang's. Uh, peaked a bit too early he's written his book <laughs> pre-covid although it's very good um because if you'd have if you'd have said to to most of us uh, a year ago today when we were all getting ready to go out for our our fourth uh industry event of the week uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'd, be, we'd be facing a global pandemic that would mean that we would have to effectively get everybody to work from home within you know a, a day or two's notice and then see the total saturation of our market inside two and a half months. Mm. And then, you know, the, the market then be recreated and reignited into a, from a, a bust to a boom market almost within the same quarterly cycle. We would have gone absolutely no way is that ever going to happen. So I don't know. It's just been, it's just been really, really strange. And I think um, it's moved so quickly that, None of us probably yet, even now, have, have had the chance to really ponder it and and think about how we did it. We just kind of got on and did do it. And I think that's the the very basis of being an entrepreneur. You just mm. find ways of um, of overcoming the the biggest of challenges. And and this, in terms of my my sort of reasonably long career of, of almost three decades in the mortgage industry, um, this is is up there as being one of the hardest for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm sort of quite keen to sort of look to the future, really, rather than dwell on everything we've been through. But, but what do you think of the things we've most learned from this that will that will really bode us well for the for the new year and, and coming through? So, I think um, what I'm going to say in the first few points is just kind of obvious and has been rehashed. Everyone said the same, but I think the whole. The whole ability to communicate on some meetings virtually is something that many of us, including me, just wouldn't have done. We were physical and face-to-face on absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that did on occasions evolve travelling 
uh, you know, long journeys for many hours uh, of the day on the tr- in the train or on the car to perhaps do a sort of forty-five minute phone call, which, if you look back, is just utterly nonsensical and a total waste of resources. Yeah, so, right. you know, I think you know that's going to be reasonably useful. But I, but I think also, um, I think in a strange sort of way, this will give us a a, a real sort of renaissance again in the fiscal office. And I know I'm probably swimming a little against the tide thinking that. I think we probably all took, you know, the the hub of, of our workplaces a little bit for granted. And I think, you know, often it's not until you lose something that you really appreciate its value. And I've certainly uh, been pining for returns to the physical office, as I believe a number of my co-workers have also. So so I think that would be that, that's an interesting dynamic. I think I think the final thing is um, and, and this this does sound uh, perhaps a little bit emotional, but I think we've all learnt to be a bit nicer to each other. I think we've all probably taken a little bit more time. I hope so. Yeah. Well, you know, not just to you know drop some uh, prescription drugs around to the <laughs> lady at the end of the road shielding, but just you know um, picking up the phone to industry people that you know might be hurting and saying, "How are you? How are you feeling? What's going on today?" Yeah, there, there has been a lot of that, and I think that's that's always what we we do really well as an industry. It's, it's definitely that we do come together when things are hard, and it's interesting what you say about the office actually, because I heard an economist speak the other day, um, and he was saying actually a lot of the big companies they're not bothered because they know that people are going to come back to the office. If you're young and you want to get ahead, you want to be seen. There's a massive um social element people are really starting starting to go so much the other way when it first happened we all thought actually yeah this is this is a massive change but i'll never go into an office again but then you're right you start pining for it you miss that you know just being able to grab a few minutes chatting to people bouncing ideas off each other in real time um there's a massive fear of missing out which I, I think will come back. So I think actually people will go back to the office. Um, they'll, they'll maybe be a little bit more flexible than they were before, but generally speaking, even I even miss the commute now. Yeah, I hated the commute, but my commute now I don't I don't have that hour long time where I just sit and read or chill out. Etc. On the train, it's true. It's true. You've and I no, really miss that. You got no no me time, right? So you, no, you wake up in your house, you go to work in your house, you finish work in your house, and you end up going to sleep in your house. And yeah, you you eat, sleep, and you repeat that journey another four times in the week. And then at the <laughs> yeah. weekend, you stay in your workplace that you've been in for the previous five days. So <laughs> exactly, I, I I don't know. I I think um I, I think there's been some um immeasurable damage that's been done by the need and desire uh, and also the reluctance of, of many employees particularly the big guys with the banks to get their people back to a physical office soon i, I think there was yeah. a real um you know attempt um and momentum in august growing into september where where banks were starting to come back and then of course you know unsurprisingly we had the second uh, wave and the second lockdown and then you know people were now talking about Easter, realistically. So, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I I miss the physical office. I I spent as much time in the physical office as I'm able to, as you know. And um, I've encouraged my 
colleagues that feel they want to do that to do so. But I've not had an issue with those. That's not a, a continuous cough you've got there, is it? <laughs> do you know what? I just tried to mute my microphone before I coughed there and I failed miserably. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there. But no, it's not continuous, but it is quite dry. Well, a, a bit like your personality, I guess, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, look, we, we, are, we don't do an arbitrary job. We're not in a process-driven job whereby we just, you know, input data and information all day long. Um, it's a very sociable um, need to uh, communicate. And um, if we lose that part of the job, it's my considered opinion that we lose a huge amount of the value and worth of, of work. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've spoken about mental health before and, and the effect all this has had. You've, you've spoken about it eloquently before. Um, is it? I know it's something you've never been shy of talking about. Have we, have we got better as an industry in dealing with it? How far have we got? Still got a long way to go. Um, so, so um, to give brief answers to your two questions, yes, we have got better at dealing with it, but yes, we have also got um, a fairly long way still to go. So, I mean, look, I, I see that the progress that's been made, particularly with the provision of middle-aged men's mental health in a largely middle-aged uh, male industry has been uh, improved a quantum leap. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm not I'm not just a single advocate of um, better um, mental health illness provision in the workplace. There's been lots of us, including you. And, you know, I think probably trying to just say to people, it is okay not to be okay. I, I don't think that's an overused uh, statement. I think we should be saying that as many times as we can. So, you know, it's out there in the agenda. I think male suicide rates are starting to decline for the first time in a generation, which is really positive, but they are still too high. There are still too many people that see it as socially unacceptable to say that, um, you know, you're not okay and that you're suffering. And I just think, you know, yeah. part of the whole healing process is really the acceptance that you have a problem and to say, I have a problem, I need some help, what can I do? And we've done pretty well. I mean, you talked earlier about, how good the industry is in pastoral support. I think it's particularly good with, with mental health provision. On the flip side, um, I think um, other areas are probably a little bit too slow to move forward. I think, you know, um, the whole concept of, um, you know, women returning to work after having children, I don't think there's no employees, employers, we're, we're very good at that. I don't think we're very good as male, largely male employers in dealing with uh, things like the menopause. So there's, do you know what? There's a load of noise going on in the background. Are you, are you, have you got a break in there? Are you being held up by gunpoint or something? It's, I've got a really squeaky chair, Rob. Have you? Uh, and every time I move a little bit, it's, I mean, this is a problem of not being in a professional studio. Is the squeaky chair created by the uh, the mass that's sitting on it? Do you think that? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? There is a little bit more mass than there was before lockdown. I've got to in say, all of this, in all of this. and I'm trying really hard to move really, really quietly, but no, I don't no, know what's happening. That's okay. Well, I, I will. I won't move. I'll try and edit it out, out in the mix. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure you will. But um, <laughs> you know. But so yeah. Look, I, I think coming back to to what is a a very serious uh, and uh, valuable discussion point is uh, we've started the process, but we've got a huge amount 
further to go and understanding of depression's good but you know we look at anxiety we look at bipolar we, we look at um various other forms of mental health provision we're, we're a fairly long way away from uh, being able to support but it is a journey it's got to start somewhere and the fact is it started and and yeah. and, 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 and that should feel positive good yeah it definitely feels like we're in a more positive space um so before lockdown and, and all the craziness, it felt like the uh, the specialist market had, had really started to come to maturity. Um, what, what state do you think it's in now and, and where do you see it next year? So I, I don't see uh, the specialist lending market um, in the main, and I'll qualify what I mean in the main in a moment, as being largely affected at the moment and moving forward by what's happened. If, if In fact, if anything, I think, Probably it opens up some more opportunities and some larger market shares to mm. vendors that are, that are um, clever enough. And I was I was just about to make mistake and use the term brave enough, but it's not clever <laughs> enough to understand yeah. risk and understand um, that you know um, specialist lending doesn't equal um, higher risk. Um, often it just means a, a slightly more. Um, implicit understanding of, of niche markets so there are but but there are certain areas within the sort of microclimate specialist lending um, that certainly have been affected I mean commercial finance is one of those you know trying to get as you'll know um, from your own specialist business trying to get SME financing for certain areas at the moment is really really difficult you know yeah absolutely. Ago, if you if you had a tenant who was a bank you'd have absolutely you know no issue going to get the lowest rates now if you've mm. got a tenant that's a bank they're probably as uh, attractive as a tenant that's a restaurant so you know um, COVID has has made commercial lenders look at things a little bit too short term, I have to say. Um, but some of the newer, um, you know, banks and organisations, Alica Bank, that's another uh, great organisation, have right. been created out of the opportunity, um, coincidentally in the timing that COVID's given, and they've got a very sort of decent understanding of what risk looks like. So I think um, there was a recent study by Pepper Money that was launched three weeks ago, which is um, a YouGov uh, uh, appointed um, study that's done twice a year. And it said that in 2021, uh, 1,090,000 clients with adverse credit want to uh, join the housing market in 2021. So that's a big number, right? That's a big number. That's a massive number, yeah. Opportunity coming post stamp duty. Well, there you go. There's one big opportunity for intermediaries. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you, you work closely with brokers on a on a B two B level. Um, what what do you think they're missing? What what do you think they can be doing better? I, I um, and this is going to sound contrite when I say this, but I genuinely feel for brokers at the moment because I think it's been. And I guess you've got to be careful what you wish for, but it's a really it's a mm. really challenging time to be a broker because you have so much pressure. Um, some pressure that's been put on you by the environment. You know, you haven't had holidays. We haven't had the nice things in a year that we've been used to going. But similarly, you've had the the worry about, you know, business failure at the start and the middle of the year gone to a a boom scenario where you could be working seven days a week, 18 hours a day and still not being enough. And now you've got the pressure of, you know, 
a finite period to get these these cases through so the clients can get their, their same mm. duty. So so I think here and now, I understand why intermediaries are just looking at the present. I, I you know, We spend huge amounts of, of, of investment on trying to get intermediaries to look at other product areas. And actually what there has been, I have to tell you, in the last three or four months is there's been a reduction in the amount of interest intermediaries have got to look at those. But that's not because they have a lack of interest in exploring other opportunities because they just don't have any time so yeah. the challenge to my marketing people is we've got to make it, we've got to make it easier to be to be more succinct and deliver a key message much quicker so that the even if all we do is just put an indelible sort of link to say if you've got a client that looks and feels a little bit like this you need to contact us because we, we might better help you yeah i see it's interesting actually because because what we see from brokers is is Although they're they're busy with other stuff now at the moment, they they know this this purple patch isn't going to last. It's not going to go on like this ad infinitum. Um, and actually, they want to get involved in bridging. They want to get involved in second charges. They want to get involved in all this other stuff. The the stuff that uh, that you guys do. Mm. So so I think there is definitely a will there. And going forward, I see definitely a lot more a lot more specialist brokers coming back to the fore because that's really where well i mean brokers were born in in the specialist environment we were born in the greys in the shadows um and that's what we can offer our clients and and you've got the challenge coming from lenders the mainstream lenders in terms of um new technology and trying to do things quickly themselves and online etc etc i think brokers who ignore the specialist market are in danger of missing out. Well, they, they are. And also uh, what we've all got to just briefly reflect on is the damage on um, the average person's credit file by COVID. You know? Yeah, people really good point. Taken payment holidays, people that have frozen interest on credit cards, people that have stopped paying loans, people who uh, sadly um, – have or will be losing their jobs in the in the in the months ahead you know they are going to sadly in a market which may have uh, less of a liquid feel moving forward they're going to be in competition with a finite sum of capital so the specialist market is where the opportunity for those borrowers or potential borrowers will come about and and the good news for intermediaries that's almost entirely owned by mortgage intermediaries yeah absolutely absolutely and do do you think um regulators and government can be doing more to help the industry yeah i I think um i think that that can always be the case i mean i think we are very fortunate that we have a a, an excellent uh, industry trade body of which uh you're now leading or from next year you'll be leading which is great news congratulations for that but I think what sort of Martin and Pat before him and, and Robert Sinclair, obviously leading Amy, do is, is is they lobby the interest of our industry really well. And I think you know more's the pity what would happen if if they weren't around. But I also think we've got a regulator having dealt with the regulator myself, uh, consulting with them, um, is a is a much easier regulator to work with now. There's there's a lot less suspicion as like there had been in the past perhaps. And my um, my sort of meetings with both 
the FCA and occasionally the, the, the PRA has been has been really refreshing. Uh, you know, decent, intelligent, uh, likeable people that just want to understand the market a bit better to ensure that the, you know, the regulation is being regulated in the right areas. So yeah. I, I think it could be a lot worse. And I, I look at a, you know, a, 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 a regulator that was out of control in the past who perhaps you know, just looked every everybody as a potential uh, mis-selling opportunity. And, and I yeah. just don't see that anymore. Uh, you know, I just really don't see that anymore culturally. Mm. So moving on in terms of um, social media, actually, I'm going to ask you about social media. That's that's become a, a big deal for brokers, some of whom use it really well. Yeah. Um, some of whom are still coming to getting to grips with it. Um, how has it helped you? Because you're you're really good at it, and, and Brightstar generally are in terms of that. You got any tips for people and and how it's helped, or things to to look out for and not do? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we we've been. Um, I think you were on um, on Twitter before me. I think I've been on Twitter since two thousand nine. I think you were. You and Stephen Fry were probably two of the, the earliest adopters, maybe <laughs> 2008 or yeah. something. You know, is that right? Would that be about right? I think I think it was very early 2009. Okay, right, January or Feb 2009. Yeah. Well, I was later in 2009. Well, I mean, to me, social media was a eureka moment when it when it was sort of created. The ability to to to, to not say very much and say what you wanted to say quickly could leave such an important mark if it was dealt with in the right way and could yeah. help elevate your personality and your brand. But conversely, um, the the opposite would be true if it was uh, mismanaged. And I, and I have to say, being very honest, over the uh, preceding sort of 11 years that I was, that I've been on Twitter, um, I've dealt with things uh, both very well but also reasonably badly i mean you know in the early days it felt like a a um a fun medium to have conflict exchanges with competitors and people you disagreed with and you know it's very easy for that to slip from banter to just having a big row and then what you've just got to be mindful is would you have that row in the street with with an audience of five thousand people watching you well no you wouldn't do would you so why do it on social media so so i think it's really important i think it's really important um to show that you've got a personality and i know and i I really understand some people are very private and they really don't want that and they don't want to um, step outside of um their their jobs uh but then you've got to just ask the question is that interesting and is the is the sort of posts and the images that you're giving interesting because if they're not interesting people will stop looking at them people will stop following you and and therefore yes. what are you doing what's the point so um i think it's really useful i think it needs to be understood um i don't think it needs to be feared uh you know someone said for every message i post i i don't post three that i was going to post i, I don't think i'm quite at that level but i don't think i'm far off it um and at times you know it's almost like writing an email not sending it isn't it you, you feel yeah, cathartic okay. to actually type it before you send it so yeah. but really really useful and and there's lots of brands um that have grown in the mortgage intermediary space um as a result of social media and you know uh, they perhaps started off becoming 
uh, notorious, and they've uh, gained legitimacy um, by, you know, changing their confrontational stance and being <laughs> more, uh, positive and fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm sure those listening will know who that is, but yeah, that's, um, I agree. It's, it's, uh, I agree with you about the deleted tweets as well. I definitely delete more than I send. Mm. Um, definitely. So look, 24 minutes has just flown by. It's unbelievable. There we go. I'm going to, I ask everyone this, if, if you weren't doing this now, you weren't in our fine industry. What do you think you'd be doing, ideally? Well, I, I've been in our fine industry since I was 22 when I started, and I'm now going to be 50 uh, next year. Um, sadly, some of us have already got to that point. Are you younger than me? Yeah, I know I don't look it, but I definitely am. <laughs> uh, definitely, yeah. um, I, 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 honestly, I honestly, and this is going to sound the most sad response of any more questions, I can't ever consider myself not being in this industry uh, maybe i'm uh, i've been institutionalized by it you know as i as mm. I backwards and forwards but I, I just love it i love what i do i love the industry that i'm part of i think it's the most fabulous caring dynamic interesting evolving frustrating um <laughs> positive industry that i could ever be part of but if i wasn't part of this industry I definitely have to be a professional sportsman at probably at a lower club, probably a rugby player. I've definitely got the physique for <laughs> for rugby, um, but I'd probably end up being a publican or something because again, I, I'm pretty good in, in pubs, as you know. So, but no, I can I, definitely see you as a publican. <laughs> Get out of my pub, you yeah. Well, sort of an Al Murray sort of pub pub landlord <laughs> scenario, you know. But um, yeah, look, I, I love this industry as you do. It's 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 been home for um, most of my adult life, and I can't ever consider doing anything other than being in this industry. That's the truth. Well, there you go. I think that's a great positive note to 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 leave on. Um, thanks, Rob. I really appreciate your uh, thanks, your time. I know you're a busy, important man. So thank you very much. Um, thank you to my guest, Rob Jump, and of course, thank you for listening. We will be back soon, actually. Um, And if you have any comments or questions in the meantime to put to either myself or our guests, you can contact me on Twitter, of course, at Montes Blog. Until next time, this is The Mortgage Show, signing off.